because God wouldn't do what David wanted him to do and you can't manipulate and cajole God and that made David angry. And so we ended up leaving this box, this ark, at a guy's house called Obed-Edom. And what happens is God blesses everything that Obed-Edom does because his presence is in Obed-Edom's house. And that is what David wants. David asked the question, how then can I bring the presence of God back to my nation? Welcome to what will probably be the last time that we look at this whole thing about David trying to get the presence of God back into his nation. Now, last time we left it, we discussed the fact that, that David realized that he actually couldn't accomplish this um, by using his army and using his own strength, even if he built a new cart. All right. Because that was all his best efforts. And you can't manipulate and cajole God into doing what you want. And that made David angry because God wouldn't do what David wanted him to do. And he certainly wouldn't do it the way David wanted him to do it. And so we ended up leaving this box, this ark um, that represents the presence of God. He left it at a guy's house called Obed-Edom. Now, <laughs> this is in, in one 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 13-ish, the end of that chapter. He, he leaves the ark there and what happens is David asks the question, how then can I bring the presence of God back to my nation? And he gets really angry with God because his friend Uzzah has died. But then you read this um, in verse 11 to 14 of 1 Chronicles chapter 13. He says that God blesses everything that Obed-Edom does because his presence is in Obed-Edom's house. And that is what David wants. He wants the blessing of the presence of God in his life, in, in everything that he touches. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I think that's pretty cool. I would like the, the blessing of God in my household, in my work, in, in everything that I do. So that's where we left this, that David is a bit choked up and, and a bit angry with God because he's not doing what David wants him to do. But then in chapter 15, so 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse 29, we read this, that David, the same guy, two chapters later, less than two chapters later, is skipping and dancing around and laughing with joy because he has the presence of God with him. And you think, what? I thought one minute ago he was angry and now he's skipping and dancing around because he's got the presence of God with him. So what's happened in between? Well, he's done a bunch of stuff. Now, if that bunch of stuff that he's done makes that big a difference, I want to know what the bunch of stuff that he's done is. 
I want to know what he's done that takes him from being angry at God and things not going his own way and his friend dying to him. In, in, in chapter 15 and verse 29, he's skipping around and laughing with joy. I want to know what he did to make that happen. Now, like I said, he's done a bunch of stuff. We're not going to concentrate on all of it because we only have a very small amount of time together. But the first thing that he does is this, right? Now look, chapter 15, the book of 1 Chronicles. Now David built several buildings for himself and he also prepared a place for the ark of God, the presence of God to be set up. He prepared, he prepared. See, see, he prepared. He actually prepared something. Have you ever... If you've got kids and you're going out, you're saying, hey, kids, we're going to be ready to leave at three o'clock. What happens? At three o'clock in the afternoon, they're sitting in front of the TV. They're not prepared. They're not ready. They're not anything. We had a kid in our youth group. It, it does not matter how much notice you gave him. He was going to be late. He was never, ever ready. Never, ever prepared. Now, look at me. Look right at the TV. Don't look at your wife. Don't look at your husband. Don't look at your kids. Right, because that's going to get you in trouble. You see, this kid was never ever prepared in my youth group. Never. Now, people prepare. A friend of mine's just been to Ontario to a wedding. He had to prepare to to buy the plane ticket to go. He had to make preparations. He packed his case. He went. The bridegroom and the bride made preparations for the wedding. People die. They make preparations for funerals. When you're going to build a house, we make preparations. We put in plans. We get them put the permit stamped. Uh, you put drainage in. You put foundations. You do all that type of stuff. You prepare for the building that you're going to build. But somehow, when it comes to God in our life, we think that preparation isn't necessary. You hear things like, oh, I'd rather just be led. I'd rather, I'd, rather just, I'd rather just go with it. You know, some of the most led people in the world, most led and, and gifted communicators in the world, are the ones that prepare the most. Because once they've prepared and they know where they're going, it's much, much easier for God to direct them and, and make them improvise along the way. They're prepared. David prepares. You know what you do on a Saturday night? Prepares you for a Sunday morning. If you don't believe that or don't know that, you've probably never been on a bender. But what you prepare yourself with on a Saturday and, and all the weeks from Monday to Saturday night puts you in a place to receive his presence on Sunday morning. That's why we spend some time praising and worshipping God first before we sit down and we listen to this. Because it prepares us. It prepares the ground of our heart to receive the seed of the word of God in exactly the same way as a farmer prepares the field before he takes his air drill and he, and he puts the seed into the ground. He prepares. David prepared. It's a great thing to do. The second thing he did, you find out in verse 2, this is what it says. This is what he says. No one except the Levites may carry the ark of God. 
because the Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to serve him forever. He, he doesn't just prepare. He does what God wants him to do. He actually obeys and does what God asks him to do. In verse 13, it says this. It says, we failed the first time we tried to bring God's presence because we failed to ask God how he wanted us to move the presence of God in the box on the ark. Their failure to ask God resulted in a man dying. That's why David was angry. And now he realizes, I failed to ask God. I failed to obey him. I failed to do what God asked me to do. Now, got to be careful here. because There's a very fine line here between legalism and freedom in grace. And sometimes we go, we go, we go over the line in both directions on these things. We really do. But when Jesus was on the earth, you can you compare this now to the real presence of God. That this is this is Jesus on the earth. That the presence of God walking around in a human body. This is what he says one day. This woman is brought to him, who's been caught in the very act of adultery. Now you can. You can think about that however you want. Whenever I hear the story, I think, why didn't they bring the guy too? Because it generally takes two people. But because they're misogynistic and they're male chauvinists, they just bring the woman and they drag her in front of Jesus. And they says the law says that this woman should be stoned to death, not stoned, but throw rocks at her till she dies because she's committed adultery. And Jesus says, okay, you maybe know the story, says, okay, anybody who's without any sin, you can throw the first rocks. The Bible says that in in John chapter 8, verse 11, that, that, that one at a time, from the oldest to the youngest, they turn around and they leave. And then Jesus stands up and he looks at this woman and he says, where are your accusers? <laughs> she says, they've gone, Lord. And he says, and I don't condemn you either. Now, if we think that's all that he says, we miss out on something very, very important because a lot of people just stop there and they don't go anywhere else. But that's not all that Jesus says. He says this, okay, I don't condemn you either. Now go and stop sinning. Go And stop doing what got you in this mess in the first place. She has to go and obey what Jesus says, which actually comes in line with what Jesus says later on in John chapter 14, when he says this, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. If you love me, you'll actually do what I tell you to do. And David finally asks God what he wants him to do and then he actually does what God asks him to do. So not only does he he prepare, part of his preparation is finding out what God's will is and then another part of his preparation is actually doing what God's will is. Do you see, it's, it's actually not that complicated, really. And this is he is how he changes from this angry man at God to the person who's 
who's skipping around and dancing and leaping about, laughing with joy. Obedience ends up with him laughing with joy. Who would have thought that? that another thing it says is this. In verse 26, the same chapter, chapter 15, of the first book of Chronicles, chapter 15, verse 26, it says this. That as the, the priests, the anointed people, who were going to carry the presence into the nation, as they were walking, every few steps that they took, they made a sacrifice. Now, in the Old Testament, Old Testament, they would sacrifice sheep, ox, goats, doves, all sorts. They made blood sacrifices. We don't do that now. We don't need to because the final sacrifice was made for us when Jesus said, shed his blood on the cross. A sacrifice once for all, not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the blood of Jesus shed for you, shed for me. I can come into his presence without fear of being condemned. What an incredible thought. But it says that every few steps in the Old Testament, they sacrifice something. You know, following God does involve some sacrifice. Now, not, you've got to go out and buy an ox or a goat and kill it. In Hebrews, because that's the Old Testament, but in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, in the New Testament, it says this. In fact, it's in Hebrews 13, verse 15, it says this, that we offer a sacrifice of praising God. Now, I don't know what you feel like on Sunday mornings, but sometimes I don't feel like praising God on a Sunday, but I really don't. And at that time, those times, it's a sacrifice to praise him. Now, there's other times I just want to go in and, hey, somebody, some, somebody play a chord on any instrument. Somebody strum a chord. Somebody play a chord on the piano. Somebody beat a drum. Anything. I'm ready. I'm ready to go. But other days I'm not. And at those times it's a sacrifice of praise. And again, that sacrifice of praise prepares me to hear this and to bring the presence of God into my life. I've told the story before. My friend's daughter tragically died. She died, young, tiny baby. And um, my friend carried the coffin, tiny coffin, into the service, the funeral service. He carried it. And he asked that as, as the coffin was being brought in, that we would sing a song. The song was this, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh, my soul, worship his holy name, sing like never before, O oh, my soul, and worship his holy name. And I said to him after, I said to him, why did you want to come in carrying your daughter's coffin, singing a song? And he said this, he said, it's a sacrifice of praise. I never want to allow the enemy to rob my mouth of the ability to praise God. 
Wow! What a thought. Carrying his daughter's coffin. Still praising God. <laughs> wow, it was like, oh! Broke my heart to watch him do it. We could barely get through the funeral. I could bet there was a point during the funeral I didn't get through it. And that's okay. But he carried that coffin in, praising God, a sacrifice of praise. And there's a sacrifice involved sometimes in following God. Now, the last thing that David did, <clears throat> he did loads of things, but the last thing I want us to look at is in verse 27. And I want to read it to you. Because some, sometimes when you hear people talk about this, they say, yeah, David danced naked in front of God. Like, nobody wants to see that. Nobody wants to write it down. Like, nobody wants to go to church, see somebody dance naked. That's weird. Right? That's not what it says. Verse 27. David was dressed. Now listen to this. Because this is, this is sharp. I like this. David was dressed in a robe of fine linen as were all the priests who carried the ark and also the singers were wearing priestly garments. <laughs> now, I'm going to give you a hint. What was King David's position? King begins with K, ends with ing, all right? King David was the king. In the Bible, it describes people who follow Jesus as priests and kings. But David had figured out something. He'd figured out that there's only one king when you're in the presence of God. There's not two. And when the Bible says that we are priests and kings, it also says that when we stand in front of the heavenly throne, we take our crowns off and we throw them at his feet. Why? Because there's only one king. But David doesn't wait to get to heaven to stand in front of the heavenly throne. He does it here on earth. He takes his kingly robe off. He takes his crown off. He takes all the finery of royalty off and he dances in front of the presence of God as a priest. Wearing exactly the same clothes as the priest. Let me tell you something. That submission for a monarch. We, we don't have royalty in Canada. We don't have royalty in North America. We, we elect them every four years. We run in four-year cycles. We, but nations that have royalty. I, I come from a nation that has royalty. And for a monarch to take off their crown and take off their royal finery and humble themselves in front of another king. That's why one of Jesus' titles is King of Kings. He's the king over the kings. And David understands that at this point. And he's saying, hey, hey, listen, I might be a king. I might be an important person. But in this company, in, in this exalted, incredible company right now, there is only one king. It's the king of kings and lord of lords. And part of, part of 
this bringing the presence of God into our lives is acknowledging who the real king is. And David does that. Now, let's, let's sum this up here. First thing he does, he prepares. Second thing he does is he asks God what he wants him to do and then he obeys. Third thing he does, he offers his sacrifices. Fourth thing he does, he, he, he acknowledges that God is the king, not himself. Now, I have a question for me and a question for you. Which one of those four things do we get hung up on the most? Do I only have to choose one? I get hung up on them all. But, but my desire for his presence is greater than my hang up. The desire to see God's presence in my life in our congregation, in our town, in our valley, in my home, in my place of work, when I'm driving in my car, when I'm doing my groceries, the desire to see God's presence in that and in those places is greater than my hang-ups over doing these things. And God gives me the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome those hang-ups and to draw me closer to him. So today... Whichever one of those is the greater hang-up to you, or if, if it's all four, ask God by the power of the Holy Spirit to help you to draw closer to him and invite his presence into your everyday life. Let's take his presence out of this book, put it in here, so that I can walk in his presence every single day. And hey, who knows? Some of us listen to this and there's times in my life when I'm angry at God and, and I don't want to be. I want to be skipping and laughing with joy in the presence of God. I don't want to be angry at him. Hey, and I don't want him to be angry at me. Like a child, I want to dance in his presence. You ever been to church when there's kids in there and somebody starts playing music? Kids don't give a rat. They just start jumping around and dancing. I love that. Like a child, I want to dance in his presence. What a great thought. I need his presence in my life. Hey, bless you. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Hope to see you again soon.
know you are near, and I will fear. 